I want to show you a fancy set of black baldies here now. A fancy set of black baldy heifers right here. 66 head of the good black baldy heifers right here. All uh, one brand of heifers. All one brand of heifers out of Eagle, Colorado, 200, out of pen 230 and 229. Out of pen 229 and 230. 66 head of the good heifers right here. We're going to weigh them in two, sell them in one. Weigh them in two drafts, sell them in one to you. Everyone aboard and everyone a good head. Welcome back to Wiseman Podcast. This is your host, Sean Glennis, and I'm here with my co-host, Arlen Golden. How are you doing, Arlen? Hey, Sean. Uh, Happy New Year. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, do, doing all right. Uh, just checked in on the score of the Bulls game, and uh, seems like a, a bit of a slaughter, but maybe not quite so bad as <laughs> some of the Bulls will be discussing in uh-huh. today's episode Ooh, great segue <laughs> yes today we're talking about frederick wiseman's meet his 1976 film that is and <laughs> it is his 10th film so uh, as we will get into uh we are we have encountered a decade of wiseman but before we get to to uh the juicy bits of that film um I uh, just wanted to uh, talk about some stuff up top, um, as usual. Today, we, as you will see on your little podcast thing, um, our guest today is Stephen Mamber, who is our first returning guest. Um, and he was kind enough to jump in when we had uh, a little uh, scheduling snafu. Um, and had like it's funny because when we were originally trying to get a guest for this film, people were like, uh no (laughs) like i i want to be on the show but can i do something else yeah (laughs) i mean the way we work is you know we we usually give give people the opportunity to just pick the film they want uh but nobody was picking meat (laughs) for whatever so then we had to go hunting and then um uh people would yeah just say like no and then we we found a great guest and then um temporarily lost that guest and then got member um but look uh, forward to having that unnamed guest on a later episode though. yes absolutely um but uh yeah we, we got member who um uh, we were very grateful to have somebody who wrote about the film when it uh, came out and has um written about it since um and just all around smart guy and great listener um but uh there is a little uh fun thing on today's episode uh maybe to break up from the like harrowing uh, events that we'll be talking about in the film um i recently found a uh used like mint condition copy of uh barry keith grant's 
um, seminal Wiseman book, Voyages of Discovery. And uh, I already own it. Arlen already owns it. Um, so I figured that uh, we'd do a little bit of a give giveaway. So um, How fun. W- yeah. What I'm going to do is um, basically the first person that listens to this, that wants that book, hopefully, you know, somebody who, uh, you know, buying it online for 25 bucks or whatever is not a big deal or, you know, is a big deal, is like sort of prohibitive. Uh, somebody who's listening and going, ooh, I, I really uh, could use that and, and would use that. Uh, first person to email me um, asking for that, uh, I will give it to. Um, Wow, it's, just it's, the first person? No, uh, no song and dance. No, no you gotta I tell mean, us your is... favorite uh, cut of meat. <laughs> <laughs> the, the fir- I mean, the thing is that like this encourages people to as soon as as soon as every Wiseman podcast episode comes out, they gotta listen to it right away because <laughs> you never know what kind of giveaway that we're gonna be That's doing. A great point. That's a great point. <laughs> um. But yeah, uh, and speaking of emails, we'll get to a good one later. Um, but uh, but yeah, let's let's talk about um, Meet, uh, the 1976 film by Frederick Wiseman, uh, which takes place at the Montfort uh, Meat Packing Plant, a uh, proclaimed state-of-the-art facility in Greeley, Colorado. Um, I think one of the things that you and I both were kind of taken with, just like immediately after having seen this. It was just like how this incredible and like sort of clever uh, line of films, this order of films from like mm. specifically like juvenile court to primate to to welfare to meat. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you kind of talk about why you you uh, were taken with that? Yeah, sure. I mean, like, so it, it's interesting that Weissman does go through these periods of like sort of related films like like you know we know we have kind of this uh american imperialism trilogy forthcoming uh we know there's the deaf and blind sort of mm-hmm. series of films like he he does this uh there's there's the more like art oriented films uh in the early 21st century um so while it might not be so explicit uh here i mean i think everyone kind of readily makes the ties from meat to primate right but uh what something that's interesting i noted and in the back of reality fictions there's this really helpful kind of glossary i guess of like when films were shot and released um and weissman and brain shot meat in late uh 74 after the same year and after they shot welfare but while welfare was being edited Mm. so i think you know similar ideas or certain ideas must have been swirling in weissman's head about all of this and i think you know when you when you start to think about well what what might have been going on what are the connections between these films i think you know it's it's pretty apparent when you look at the subjects of institutions, in these cases, you know, the primates at Yerkes, uh, the sheep and cows at uh, this facility, um, you know, what's what's what about welfare? And and you think about, well, what's being done uh, to the uh, welfare clients 
that is similar uh, to what's being done to these other subjects in these other institutional settings. And I think, you know, you've hit upon it, Sean, is that, you know, there's this whole thing about diminished autonomy and something Mamber talks about uh, in both writing and, and later on in the episode is this idea of processing and the sort of uh, de-individualization uh, dehumanization that goes along with like institutional processing from like going in to this institution one thing and coming out something else yeah and i like just on a very physical or not physical but uh visual level there is like the herding of cattle and the mm. herding of people like cattle in the welfare office in new york city um that is just a poignant association yeah and i mean you know it's you get into this thing is like well was Weissman really kind of literally drawing these are, does he see welfare clients as like you know cattle or, or stock and, and or or research subjects in the same way and it's like maybe maybe not probably not but I think the thing that does carry through is on the institutional actor side and what we talk about of this this kind of calloused thing that happens where you're deep in the work and you stop seeing it for what it is and start seeing it just as your job just yeah anesthetized um yeah it's it's fun stuff to think about and it's just like impressive i think um and, and just uh providing also just like this look at an institution that does provide like a backbone of labor for the american practice of eating meat uh well i I was gonna make i was gonna say this little note that um in the 2010s um like year-long uh moma uh retrospective of wiseman's work meat um was programmed what 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 film do you think they programmed meat with what were were these like double double features Mm -hmm. uh uh high school Domestic violence. Oh my god. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. Huh. Yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty wild. Um and I, I, I uh I grabbed that from this um uh Nick Rapold piece in Art Forum, uh who was writing about uh meat specifically before that. Uh, but he kind of like says something that I think sets the table for uh thinking about meat um which is that he says the film was mistaken as like brutally simple um and then when you look at like these contemporaneous reviews as we have um besides you know some of the the brilliant minds like Stephen Mambert um they uh they do kind of like they uh definitely line up with that uh like there's a timeout review that says uh Wiseman uh, for once falters with meat and says that it's like bland and uninquiring advertisement for the U S meat industry. Um, there's a Walcott review, I think in the New York times, uh, where, uh village voice, village uh, voice. Sorry. Yeah. I, I got get those two confused, but, um, he says, uh, well, his opens with this great line. Wiseman's new film comes packed in ice, which <laughs> I agree with, but, uh, he, I, you know, I think it's, it's a testament to the film, but he considers it too austere and, and, um, Again, like his review from uh, Welfare says that uh, Wiseman should turn to like fictional films. Right. Says Meat doesn't have any interesting characters, you know, doesn't dive into the lives of any of the workers uh, to see how they feel about working there, which, you know, we'll 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 get to what 
uh, Dan Armstrong's rebuttal has to say about like that's the point of the film in a certain sense. But, yeah, I mean Walcott, uh, if nothing else, seemed really taken with the processing scenes. That, yeah, that yeah. that's what he he seemed to really relate to, which uh, is weird. <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, John J. O'Connor, which was the New York Times, said it's really unsure of itself, and it's like Wiseman's least impressive film, calls it artistically exhausted and repetitious without reason. Okay, so that that was what I was talking about before with the the sequencing thing, uh, is O'Connor notes in this review that uh, Weissman's WNET contract had just been renewed, Mm-hmm. And you and I uh, and the DMs were kind of joking about like meat coming off the critical success of welfare um, as as kind of like a quote unquote like blank check. You know, all right, mm-hmm. you, here's this thing you loved. Here's this other thing you're yeah. gonna get. Yeah. And maybe there was like a bit of a literal component to that where he just got renewed for another five years, and he's like, all right, this is my opportunity to do you know, whatever the most distressing thing that I'm interested in doing is right now because I'm set for the next five years. Yeah, I think, yeah, in in Grant's book, he's he's comparing Meat and, and Primate and saying that, you know, the earlier film, Primate, we and we talked about this, like, was so controversial, was the, the most controversial since, since um, Tadika Follies. And then you have this film, which, you know, it is very linked to we talk a lot about the two of them but uh it didn't cause any controversy and you know presumably because it's just like detached and understated and cold um and so people just thought it was like kind of puzzling or just like kind of annoying and repetitious Uh, and he he goes on to say that that this is the beginning of a run of mildly received films uh for similar reasons so i think i think that we can see me as this transition uh, in the general conception of Wiseman from like this muckraker who's always looking to stir up trouble to like this boring document. <laughs> um, right, right. Which, at least, you know, at least in, you know, the critical yes. reception. Um, it, yeah. yeah. I think, I think something Walcott noted in his thing that I, I did think was, was, uh, astute in the difference between this and primate and why one is controversial and one isn't is like, there's no question about the reasoning and the justification for what's happening in meat like there is in primate, right? Right, right. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, it is what it is and it does that really well. Um, but uh, but yeah, um, Mamber and Rapold both kind of make a, a convincing point against, uh, who was it, uh, uh, Walcott saying that uh, it has one of his best characters in the Judas the Goat. <laughs> uh, which we talk about with with Mamre later, but um, but there was uh, a. Did you read the Soho Weekly review? Yeah, about how you know uh, it was almost um, a feminist uh, reading of the film, right? About like men doing evil, kind of. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was it was a really just like interesting review all around, um, and one of the few that one of the couple that. That really uh, approached it uh, in an interesting way. He, yeah, R.M. White, um, who called the film extraordinary, um, and you know, points out this like title thing that we talk a lot about. You know, meat. It's the animal meat. It's the people meat. The primate is the you know the actual primate. The people are the primate. Yada yada. Yeah. Um, but he or they. I don't know who R.M. White is, but um, uh, they say it's a, a, a cliche 
a true cliche at the point to say that uh, America is about old-fashioned death dealing without judgment or prejudice. Um, and Wiseman uses the meatpacking plant as like this metaphor, you know, which, you know, he we talk a lot about how he immediately ties it to the myth of the American West. And this like metaphoric approach from White to Wiseman's subject matter is like most of the reviews we're reading are just so much about what the meat like what what the meat processing plant is actually doing that um it's it's um uncommon for us to see one of these smarter reviews that sort of like looks at it more abstractly um which is, is nice to see but uh it also makes me think of like this continuing presence of vietnam and sort of the ether of his post-vietnam films that this is like a reflection or like meditation on um america as you know this institutionalized like mechanized killing coming out of vietnam yeah yeah the killing machine kind of uh just brought home i guess you know mm -hmm. it, probably not difficult to imagine some of these uh, meatpacking workers are are veterans of the war uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so um but you know and and also there's as we talk about later this kind of uh connection to the industrialized killing of uh concentration camps um you know the you know what what is all of this if not like an animal holocaust to some degree right mm -hmm. um yeah there so uh one of the one of the notes that comes up a couple times that come across is um uh that this is Wiseman's one of Wiseman's most Marxist films, and we've talked, mm -hmm. you know, earlier about his his uh, Marx line, um, uh, Groucho or Carl. Um, uh, but yeah, Dan Armstrong, um, uh, he specifically calls it uh, Lukoxian. Um, I'm not familiar with George Lukacs, uh, some Hungarian Marxist, um, but. Uh, as I peripherally understand, like explored ideas of like human alienation and how they relate to traded commodities, right. which is like, like, oh, of course they would bring up this figure um, because that's exactly what we see. But um, in thinking of a decade of wise men with me, um, it's interesting to look at this, this comment from Armstrong on like his evolving politics. Uh, which we've kind of charted film by film, but he says, um, as Wiseman goes even deeper into the institutional matrix of the American social formation in the course of his documentary project, his politics evolved from liberal reformism in the early films through an increasing disillusionment in the middle films, and finally to a considerably more radical vision, essentially in harmony with the perspectives of historical materialism by 1976 when Meat was produced. So, I'm sure we'll we'll talk about that piece more when we get to model because that's what it's actually about. But this what he's describing, I think we've essentially like the subtext is, is or that is like the subtext of when we say those early films are like his punk era, like his punk yeah. films, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting. I think you know we've we've danced around the Marxism thing uh, for a while, but I mean the way this film really cleverly uh through editing sort of demonstrates uh caste and class uh within the institution and how it mm -hmm. plays upon that i'm thinking of 
the one great scene we get of the salesman on the phone. Well, I'm sold out of tritis, but I might be able to get you a few. 18 inches of snow. You want six boxes? Talk to me now. You got to tell me. I don't know what you're doing. All right, six boxes of tri-tip. That's the snow belt down there, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, give me, give me some more yeah. boxes, and I'll go over to somebody else that'll fill it up. You will not. All right, Sally, that's fine. Then we'll. Then I hope we can get this out for you, okay? You get the stags. I can't, Sally, Sally, believe me. Sally. What's the forecast? That's it, Bobby. This is before an animal has been slaughtered in the film, yet they're all talking uh, uh, in, in terms of the film narrative, I guess, kind of about the future, right? Of like what's going to be rendered and available. But then uh, after that happens for, you know, 10 minutes, give or take, uh, then we're brought back kind of to to what the meat of meat, I guess you could say, what, what we're all kind of know is coming. And uh, just by that quick cut, it underlies even uh, within the worker class, uh, this sort of caste distinction of mm-hmm, the guys mm-hmm. on the phones in the office and the guys on the floors doing the killing, right? Uh, sure. some, something obviously further explored in the later scene with the union negotiation, mm-hmm. uh, which had a lot of interesting dynamics that weren't... Uh, made explicit like there's kind of this arbitrator guy who uh, it doesn't seem is is neither management or some 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 kind of recorder there i think just to make sure that like you know whatever's said is is accounted for and and on the management side it looks like there's kind of like a floor supervisor who's hanging back and not really saying anything but like Mm -hmm. you know lines are drawn and it's like one side or the other side so um i think a lot of the films that have come up so far yes it involves work in so far as like these are people's jobs they're they're often very specific and specialized jobs like in law or science or you know government uh but this um i mean we could think about it a second depends how you want to consider teachers maybe um but like like this is the first just kind of like job job a job that like people do to pay the bills and like support their families right yeah nobody nobody like grows up being like i'm going to be a meat processing (laughs) plant outline worker yeah which might be indicative of of this time as well um but yeah uh it's yeah so there's a lot of there's a lot to chew on in terms of just watching the alienated worker uh working on the modern assembly line uh, but we didn't talk about this with Manor, but there's this great scene that's just like sliced in in the middle of like all of this work that just has like for whatever reason this guy who is sitting on a ladder chair thing with like his arms folded and his head down and like he could be doing this for like any number he could just be taking a nap or whatever on his break or whatever but like it's sort of the the beauty of like Wiseman's like reality fiction mode is that he can make it into something poetic which is like the detachment of working in in this environment um and it, it turns out to be poignant and also kind of funny 
um, this film is like pretty funny, which Member wrote, wrote in his uh, uh, early review too, that not a lot of people, uh, I think, were willing to admit at the time. But Yeah, and, and Weissman in um, that interview uh, from Lisbon um, in Vertigo talks about how um, this was a unique shooting situation because yeah. the like, just the nature of, the work like the automation and the repetition of it afforded him any number of opportunities to like go back and like reshoot or like cover yeah. something he yeah. might have missed which also creates more opportunities for exactly what you're talking about to like this reality fictions thing and creating scenes right because like there's no indication to us you know what day or order things were shot but the way it's assembled uh creates this kind of narrative and i think uh meet to me also um i was really impressed uh by what seemed to me like Weissman's evolution as an editor in terms of like building a scene we get some really like quick cuts to inserts of here or there that kind of just kind of contextualize a setting more or like um uh, there was one shot uh, it struck me that like when those um, two women are up kind of supervising the grain loading and the trucks there's a quick cut to just like the grain door closing after she's like okay, and then the grain door closes and then it cuts back to her in there and i'm like you know this is this is uh like narrative editing right this is yeah, like yeah. scene building and and you know the whole reality fiction thing so like that, that that really struck me in this film yeah yeah i'm glad you mentioned that that bit in that um that uh, uh lesbo what was it lesboa Lisboa Documentary Festival um, interview because I, I love that like <laughs> like the rare documentary where you can do reshoots like that's yeah. so so funny but um, yeah it does like it that it has a linearity to it like I, you, we talked about that with high school but I think even in relation to high school this is less abstract in its linearity um, you know that ends with a graduation and you see like people coming into school blah 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 but like just the the way he's editing it um and the way you are seeing like animal from animal living animal to packaged uh good um just creates this extremely linear linear experience yeah it, it reminded me of the opening to basic training to where like just um inherent in like the process of like mm -hmm. arriving at the base right you become something like your head shaven you're assigned you know your dog tags or whatever um you know just by the process of starting as a cow and ending up as a hamburger like there's a narrative in between that yeah um one of the other things we've talked about uh here and there is like just sort of like his impressive access and um <clears throat> i was reading in, in some like blog review when the dvd came out that um uh, this little note that like when when Richard Linklater made Fast Food Nation, mm. he was barred from American slaughterhouses, so he had to go to Mexico and get the footage like quickly, uh, like guerrilla style, before anyone could figure huh. out why he was there. Um, so just like you know, nineteen seventy six to two thousands, um, just this difference between access and the uh, American public's idea of what slaughterhouses are or how they can be. Um, influence well i think there's 
there's no way to really conceive of a film like this being made now in a way that wasn't pushing an issue kind of right like like there's all those undercover videos that always circulate where like you know people uh, just get hired onto some factory farm and then they're you know recording in a secret camera just to like expose the cruelty or whatever well that's the cove that's, that's what the cove <laughs> right. is. like which like which the cove is like the good thing about the cove is that it turns into a heist film not that it has something to say about dolphins have i've actively avoided the cove my whole oh, life okay. is it is it worth watching no, okay, no, but like <laughs> okay. If, if you're watching it like it i mean it like fully dips its uh foot in the water uh uh to like talk about you know mercury poisoning and school lunches and bullshit uh, yeah, yeah but like uh but the the fun part of that movie is them trying to sneak in like time and time again to this place where where these dolphins are being killed um in order to get like actual footage of it um so then it just becomes like sort of this game but no it's not a good movie (laughs) (laughs) okay cool noted um but uh which kind of reminds me or not reminds me but we should uh some resonances uh we talked a lot with member about like relationships that this has to earlier films. And he kind of coyly mentioned, uh, the ending to another, uh, unnamed ending. Um, I'm not sure what he was talking about in, in terms of like, um, a film that ends with, uh, something in a box being carried off. I can think of Monrovia maybe. Yeah. It could be something I, I didn't. didn't yeah. Know. But, um, but in, in Jackson Heights, there's, you know, we see a chicken getting its head cut off. Uh, we talk a little bit about the Belfast assembly line. Um, labor meetings are sort of like popping up. Uh, we see a rise here and like finance, like talk about finances. Um, like, or I think that last labor scene would probably last like 15 minutes in like a, a Wiseman film now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely, uh, I think, Walcott notes uh, or one of them a, a bit of an uh, evolution I guess like beyond just the editing in terms yeah. and uh it might have been Mamber actually just talking about longer scenes uh and and meeting to be found uh within the duration uh alone mm-hmm. so um I think yeah next next film being Canal Zone goes back over two hours I'm pretty sure it's about three yeah yeah so um you know, we we are starting to see the things I think that like modern Weissman viewers have have sort of come to expect uh, from his films, but mm-hmm. um, you know, there there is. I mean, we're not fully out of the punk thing yet. I don't think. I mean, as long as you got like cow heads with like twitching muscles, like uh, just like on a row of hooks. <laughs> like like i mean that's that's punk or metal or you know what, <laughs> whatever so it is like, but like like yeah what, what so what you're am saying, I saying like uh in in monrovia where where you know there's the visit to the vet you're yeah, saying it's a docking, little bit of yeah you're 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 seeing a little bit of uh the like punk spirit <laughs> in wiseman <laughs> He's, he's not, like, he, yeah, <laughs> he, no, he, he's, I, I, it's just like part of his 
DNA, I think, is like, and and he could just yeah. tap readily back into it uh, at any point he wants. Um, and I mean, I think that's important that, uh, especially as a documenter of American institutions, that you know, Amer- American institutions are like inherently violent and produce uh, death and dismemberment and destruction and like. You know, even within the, um, you know, seemingly uh, uh, idyllic uh, small town setting, idyllic maybe, you know, in the sense that people hold uh, small towns in such a regard that like, you know, there's still this violence being wrought, uh, whether sure. or not you're you're seeing it or dealing with it every day. It's it's always there. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'll, I, I, I'm, I'm excited that we're getting to like the city place films next like that's the next stop is like oh we get to get to those because those are those are great from what i've seen um which it's interesting too i mean you know we always like to note uh the geography of weissman's films and like this mm. is this is the first one that has kind of left uh the city to some degree um and and you know i mean suburbia for uh, a scene and some others but i mean here we're firmly like rural right like beyond uh the gates of the plant like there is like wilderness seemingly you know just like flat mountain you know whatever uh out out in colorado rocky territory but like you know um that's something we haven't talked about yet really is is like this whole western uh, mm-hmm. element to this and Weissman calls it the uh, meet his western um, but like this you know I feel like a word we end up using a lot in these episodes is like cloistered and like this to me at least didn't, didn't have that right it's mm-hmm. it's much more uh, expansive uh, visually in its scope and, and well, imagery and also when it's inside um, there's such violent things that you're watching that that like keep you it's not like it's just people just talking in a room and you never get to leave that like yeah you you do feel um a bit less trapped in it uh at least that's how it worked for me um because of that horror but yeah it is bookended with this great western um type stuff and he calls it his western we've talked about like his different genres um before but uh we talk a lot about that with mamber and how this is like uh, not only his Western, but uh, how that is fitting as his bicentennial film, which I think is just such a rich way to talk, like talk about this film, think about this film. And, and um, already I, I appreciate it even more than after I watched it. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, and that ties into this like Colorado setting, right? Yeah, uh, this, the West. Yeah. For sure. And, the and, unsettled. And something I'll, I'll leave to that section, too, is the relation to uh, Franju's film Blood mm-hmm. of the Beast. We, we cover that pretty thoroughly. But I think it, this also had me wondering about Meat's influence on future horror filmmakers. Because there were some things mm-hmm. in this that like struck me as like uh, something out of a Clive Barker movie the way like hooks are intertwined with flesh and like skin is kind of flayed off you know yeah, yeah. it's like it's like uh you gotta imagine some of those guys would have seen some of this stuff the one thing that i thought of that is probably uh, like who knows if, it, if if there's any uh merit to this but um you get these great shots of this guy or this great shot of this guy um working in between these these like hanging like bones like just the carcasses that are pretty stripped 
and it creates i think one one reviewer like said it kind of like creates this like um it it, it resembles a woman's anatomy but um what i w- was thinking about in terms of production design was like giger stuff mm, on like alien totally um, yeah, yeah you got this guy in the suit kind of like going down this tunnel and there's just these like ribbed sides yeah um, it's good very point. evocative good point yeah yeah i mean um like there there's so much in, in this film that's horrifying but i mean to the point of institutionalization there's something by the middle of it that becomes kind of hypnotic and like i mm-hmm. feel like you can uh and this may might partially be due to the black and white cinematography from brain but like you kind of lose some of the horror and it's amazing how quickly you you begin to become numb to what you're seeing uh and and turn it into just kind of images flashing in front of you because uh there's there is a lot of aesthetic interest in like twitching muscles and like just like weird skin flaying things that you don't see every day right or a jaw Mm -hmm. being cracked and a tongue taken out like eventually you you become like a a bit of like a psychopathic voyeur just like (laughs) watching all this play out though yeah the worst part for me at least was actually seeing the death happen um Mm. and uh just because you see this transition but uh which doesn't take up a whole lot of the movie but none of it compares to what franju did (laughs) oh yeah no the the killings in that and i mean prior part of that is just like the technology at the time probably but are like so much more violent like the way that horse just just like drops to the ground you know like or that I talk about the hammer to the head or the, the decapitated sheep. But I mean, you know, everything in this film is uh, pretty in, in industrialized. You know, I think there's uh, viewers will readily recall like uh, No Country for Old Men and like the air, mm-hmm. air gun that's used on the cows. <laughs> um, but I, w- I will say the cows seem to get better treatment than the sheep. Who like mm-hmm. you know they'll just like step on those guys' heads, like turn them any kind yeah. of way, like, um, but but yeah, I mean you know none none of it is easy to watch certainly. Yeah, but like you know not to sound like a psychopath, but I am kind of like interested for whenever I do watch this again, um, just just like I am any Wiseman film now that I've talked about it and thought about it more to see how things like sort of play play together but um but yeah we we didn't mention the governor's visit or the japanese businessmen also um, yeah two great scenes um particularly the japanese businessmen and like this uh kind of language divide that's happening with the translator okay we have two feedlots and this is one of them and there's one at gilchrist in the capacity Ninety thousand. No, at Gilchrist, and the capacity is 120,000. Did you say 19,000 and power? 9,000 at Gilchrist, at our other feed 9,000? 9,000, Nothing, yes. uh, yeah. And? And at this one, we have 65,000. 65,000. And the capacity is 125,000. Capacity for 65. The capacity is 125. 125,000. Right. At Cuner, this is this feedlot. I don't understand that. Okay, at this feedlot we have 65,000 mm-hmm. cattle, and the mm-hmm. capacity is 125. Oh, I see. Yeah. And the one at 
Gilchrist did has 9000キャロンの120人。あ、ごめんなさい。ノーシ、あの、シーチャンスみませんあの、えっと、ギルクエストの方ですね、9000と、タラチャのキャパシティはですね、え、12万と収容できます。それからこちらがですね、え、6万5
and it was a lot of uh, Mennonite um, population. Mm. The centerpiece of it was uh, livestock. Right. You could walk okay. around the livestock and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And in Herzog's film, there's a like a strong like Pennsylvania Dutch element uh, to it. Um, and uh, the other film uh, is not quite in the you know uh, thematically related, but as we talk about processing and assembly line and industrialization. Um, it brought up for me this Canadian short uh, from, I believe, 79, there, thereabouts, called Nails uh, by Philip Borsos. Uh, it's on Canopy. Uh, also, <laughs> it's an NFB film. They're pretty good about making making things free, uh, so it's probably on their site, too. But um, uh, Oscar-nominated, it's simply the process of making nails um <laughs> so i i really like that one and as a study of like mechanized labor and the assembly line and and uh just yeah processing fascinating um i'll have to uh grab that um okay so before we move on to uh our talk with member um we did have a email sent to us um always exciting and yeah and i so i wanted to read it for some some viewers and we can talk about it or viewers listeners um it's by a gent named andrew um he said uh hello sean ireland i've been listening to the wiseman podcast and wanted to send a quick message to express my appreciation for the show i didn't study film or or filmmaking in school learned about wiseman from reviews of his work and i've been Able to dive deep thanks to the miracle of Canopy. Thank you, Canopy. His films have been more engaging and mentally stimulating than pretty much any other films I've seen, fiction or nonfiction. And hearing you two and your guests discuss them has been like taking an in-depth course. I've bought copies of Reality Fictions, Voyages of Discovery, and Grant's book of transcripts, and I'm working my way through them as I catch up on your podcast. They will be happy to hear that. Um, Other than making my way through the rest of Wiseman's filmography... Uh, what other recommendations have you, you do you have for building my understa- understanding and appreciation? Books, articles, key films by other directors that would resonate, things like that. So, um, Arlen, I guess I was going to pitch this question to both of us, like, yeah. or he did. But, um, yeah, there are other, like, subjects, uh, film subjects or directors or yada yada that, like, you think are primed for just, like, getting, if you don't, if you don't have, like, this scholastic knowledge of Mm -hmm. film that you can just sort of like dive into sure um and appreciate the email and and like it's it's really um touching and an honor to like be sort of a catalyst uh for people's wiseman wiseman journeys um that's that's pretty cool uh something we're certainly um uh emulating from all the people we're reading along uh the series um but yeah, I mean, I think in terms of really appreciating, you know, this Weissman's specialness and what makes him unique, I think it's really uh, critical to just watch m- more of his contemporaries from the period in the nonfiction space. And I mean, I've already brought up Herzog, but like him, Les Blank, and uh, Errol Morris were kind of like, uh, uh, I don't know what to call them. They were a group, a collective. They like, talked and interacted and exchanged ideas um and errol morris we know is is a friend of weissman as well and um along with the Mazels, who i've invoked a lot on this series 
like these were kind of the heavy hitters at the time and i'll add barbara koppel uh to the mix too and i mean there's so many more uh people doing great work in the 70s you know penny baker and hedges hedges um as well but um you know they're all doing something that is not what weissman is doing and like very clearly it's not what weissman is doing so i think it's really just interesting to see you know their films are also great and successes um i'll add louis mall to the miss list too <laughs> um but like uh just seeing what they're doing the uh, uh tools they're employing and the narrative devices and rhetorical devices and you know extra textual things like non-diegetic music uh you know uh, talking heads things of that nature like like you know obviously we have this sense of what a documentary is now and weissman's earlier films are you know to to a contemporary viewer will you know you'll already be impressed upon you what what sort of makes them different at least in terms of what we today understand to be documentaries but i think it's really uh, essential to to have that contemporaneous context as well and and see you know why is it that his films still retain such a power when they seem you know on the surface uh so uh seemingly simple and and routine in terms of like you know the aesthetics or or you know people say like even in like Sean the Letterbox reviews for Meat, there were people saying like, if you know who Frederick Weissman is and you know what the title of this movie is, like you kind of have a sense of what it's going to be, right? Like, like, but um, as we've you know really explored on this podcast, that's that's uh, a, not a yeah, it's not a super sophisticated way to look at it because all these films are really different and they're all are in communication with one another um and they're all doing different things so um yeah i don't know i kind of just blacked out and talked there that's that's great i i was gonna like for mine i was kind of kind of kind of go going to go in a different direction uh like if you're just looking to um expand your appreciation of film like it like in terms of what wiseman's doing you've you've you're doing the the work to appreciate him but like if you kind of want to when you're done with that look for something else that you can really uh sink into and devour a lot of reading around and documentaries about <clears throat> with it, as well as the cortex i i think orson wells is a perfect uh topic of investigation um he didn't make a ton of movies um but each one has its own interest and uh each one is different um but also there's just like if you stick to like reading about like or reading like jonathan rosenbaum or james narimore or uh, you know peter bogdanovich r.i.p um you you can just like really get into um a lot of fascinating stuff about a very fascinating guy um so i think that that would be really fun but also you know, like I'm right now um, uh, almost done with uh, past guest Adam Naiman's most recent book, uh, which is on David Fincher, uh, a guy who like I didn't didn't really care much about uh, going into it and just like have been fascinated by like rethinking about some of these things through somebody who's smarter than me and has done a lot of work on the on the subject. Um, so, you know, sometimes it's just just grab a book and um it'll drive you 
yeah, somewhere. Yeah, I've I've actually um, I'm not super deep into it yet, but um, started reading uh, Virtov's Kino Eye, uh, which is mm. like a collection of English translations of his essay. Um, but just in terms of like film history and, and context, I mean, you know, all of that silent, those silent Soviet masters, I mean, Weissman, I think would, would say he's probably first and foremost an editor and like, you know, uh, he is employing methods that were invented, uh, by Virtov and his contemporaries. Um, and, and this book, at least so far, at least has been really interesting because, you know, the whole idea of Kino Pravda, Sinna Truth, uh, as it relates to what Weissman's doing and his conception of truth uh, as, as uh, made, you know, available by uh, film technology. Um, so like, yeah, I don't know, that, that's all a great uh, groundwork for uh, mm-hmm. further exploring and understanding his films, I think. For sure. All right, well, um that's it for this episode i think enjoy our our chat with uh steve member and we'll be back for canal zone getting zoned out (laughs) cool later Welcome back to Wiseman Podcast. We are joined today by uh, Stephen Mamber, who is our first returning guest. Um, you might know him from the second episode of Wiseman Podcast. He's a UCLA professor, author of Cinema Verite and the Frederick Wiseman Journals, among other things. But uh, how are you uh, doing today, Steve? Uh, I'm doing very well, and I'm uh, glad you mentioned that this is a return visit. I'm thinking of this like uh, Saturday Night Live, where the hosts have been keeping track of <laughs> yeah. who's been on the most. So yeah. we got to get you a special jacket. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, is that after five appearances right. that, yeah, yeah. that happened? And I, I, who is it? It's uh, Steve Martin and Alec Baldwin, I think, right. and John Good, yeah. uh, John Goodman. So. If you have any other return guests, I expect to be thought of in terms of that, uh, uh, of that competition. Um, I also want to uh, really compliment the both of you for what a great job you've been doing. I've heard all of your episodes, and I think they're uh, really impressive and uh, uh, very useful. And uh, I've liked them all, but I thought uh, welfare and hospital uh, uh, were both ones that were especially good. And I think it's uh, quite admirable uh, how well you do your homework for these and how well prepared you are. And I think it's also really good that the two of you are doing this because I think Wiseman's films really invite discussion. And this is uh, going so much better because of the conversations that you both have between yourselves and with your your guests. And I think uh, uh, it's it's really been going very, very well. So that's why I'm quite happy to be back and uh, talking about one of the more 
uh, talking with you about one of the more challenging films uh, uh, yeah. in the Wiseman canon and see how we how we do with this one. Uh, I'll admit, too, I checked out my journal. It's almost a, a year to the day that I oh, last wow. saw it meet. It was uh, January 20th of a year ago, and uh, I haven't seen it since. So your memory is going to be better <laughs> than mine. But uh, I'll admit, I think I've seen it four times now. So uh, wow. I didn't rush back to uh, to 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 watch it again. So I hope my uh, my memory and my few notes are fairly decent on this. But uh, uh, you've seen it more recently than I have. Uh, I'm sure after four times, it's uh, seared into your corneas by now. Well, it's the kind of film that one time is enough to to sear it, isn't it? It's yeah. a it's 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 something of a of a tough watch, which is uh, maybe one of the places we can uh, we can get started with it. Yeah. Or um, uh, I guess now you know we can say that this is uh, uh, Wiseman number ten, right? So, right. Um, right. A decade of Wiseman. A... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'm I'm curious. Just you know, you brought up. Uh, you know, we're we're obviously grateful for your listenership and also for your your body of work on Weissman to that has helped guided uh, this process for us. But I'm curious, having listened to the episodes, if there are any, uh, you know, this is your opportunity to maybe respond to anything you might have disagreed with. I'm really curious if if there have been any points either brought up by Sean, myself, or a guest where you you thought you know you might have had a, a something to add to that. Uh, you, you know, Wiseman films are such that I don't think disagreement is quite the way one would put uh, talking about uh, uh, the topics. The movies are uh, obviously pretty complex, as you've uh, uh, said a number of times. And I think it's uh, very possible to have uh, uh, different points of view on these films. And I've been interested in uh, the podcast and just seeing the, the number of directions that people have come from. So I haven't felt myself in very strong dis disagreement <laughs> Um, the ones I've especially liked, or I thought Nolita was especially good uh, with Law and Order, and I think Bar Bar Keith Grant is uh, uh, excellent too. Uh, I've had a bit of an email uh, correspondence with both of them since uh, uh, their, oh. their their podcast, so that's been a, a very enjoyable right part on. of this this too. I think we are kind of a community, and. Um, I think the the dedicated people who are watching all of them, it's not the biggest group you could uh, uh, imagine. I think that's been uh, an interesting thing for me with my journal, which is now, um, uh, I guess, nine months old because I started it uh, uh, three months before before that. Is um, I don't get a huge number of emails, but the ones I get are like incredibly dedicated. You know, people will want to talk in real detail about something. And I think that's just a kind of measure of uh, uh, how Wiseman, Wiseman's films work and what kind of, I don't think you'd quite call it a fandom, but the people who are most mm -hmm. interested in his films, it, it really does take some effort to dig into these. And there are a variety of ways uh, 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 of doing it. Um, I did look on uh, Canopy. I, this isn't a change of subject, even though it sounds like it, it, it might be, but, um, Canopy uh, tries to categorize the, the films in terms of the subjects they think uh, will be interesting. And it's very funny with meat that it puts it down first under the sciences, agriculture, and geology category. And then the next one is instructional films and lessons, food <laughs> technology. And only third does it get to uh, documentaries. And um, 
I think that's what kind of amusing, but also revealing a little bit is that you can look at meat or you can look at any of the Wiseman films and just find a, a whole bunch of different ways to uh, to approach them. So um, I haven't found uh, uh, the people talking about the films. And I think you've had really good guests, uh, actually, too. And uh, uh, I've, I've liked all of them. Yeah, there's nobody who, while they were talking, I wanted to go. Oh, that's just wrong, and I, I disagree with it. It's, it's yeah, just good. been more. Uh, it's, it's just been more. Oh, I, I would have never thought to look at it that way, or mm. that that's not what I think is the most important thing. But it was never they're wrong. I don't. I don't think Wiseman's films are quite set up for right or wrong answers. I, I'm sure there are ways to to say wrong things about them. But when you mm -hmm. get good people talking about them or interesting people and they're coming at it from a variety of, uh, of viewpoints, um, it's not going to be a debate in quite, in, in quite that way. Uh, I do think it's interesting. And I realized that that's uh, something that Wiseman has been uh, very smart as uh, smart at is that it's still really tempting, isn't it? To want to think that you're figuring out Wiseman's intentions and somehow we think that like the way we see the film is must be closer to what he what he intended. So, you know, I still hear that coming up uh, sometimes or it is a very tempting thing to want to want to do. And I'm sure mm -hmm. I'm, I fall victim to that as well. If you go, oh, I've just figured out something that I know must have been in his mind because he's mm -hmm. just so smart and it's uh, clear, clearly a part a, a part of the film. But. I think now that we are at number 10, that is one of the things that we can start doing a little more is uh, connecting this to the nine before it and saying, uh, you mm -hmm. know, now we've got a body of work here. And um, uh, what does both meat tell us about the other nine? And also what did the other nine tell us about meat? And I think that's one of the things that, uh, you know, we can, we can talk about uh, uh, today that's a little bit more possible than uh, even back when we were discussing high school, it was a little too early to start uh, uh, doing that. Although uh, even there, you know, of course, it gets uh, tempting right from the beginning to want to do that with, uh, with with Wiseman's films. And then another thing, and I think this felt to me like uh, I was late to the party on this one or uh, I didn't realize it. But it, it is something that now that I think we're starting to talk about a body of work is that we could start to think of Wiseman a little bit in relation to other filmmakers. And I think especially not documentary filmmakers, just think of him as uh, an artist who's creating more and more of a collection of films. And uh, I like both in his, in his interviews, uh, what I was going to say before, I guess I'm jumping around a little bit uh, too, is um, I like how he avoids explaining his own uh, intentions and when you read his uh, uh, interviews, he's usually uh, very careful to place the uh, burden mm -hmm. back on the on the viewer and just never admits to intentions. Even though occasionally, uh, I don't know if you've seen it. I think he he slips a little bit and says, yeah. "Of course, this film is about such and such," or obviously you would have noticed uh, uh, this or that. But even when he says that, he's still like very much wanting to encourage. Looking at uh, uh, looking at his films uh, with the burden being placed on the viewer rather than being placed on him, he's not. The films are not puzzles where we're looking at them to try to figure out what was he after, um, and that's where I think he really is living up to the uh, 
direct cinema or cinema verite kind of ideal of being an observer and trying uh, uh, to select material that's going to lead to uh, uh, these kinds of complex uh, uh, responses. And he's not going to make that any easier in um, uh, interviews. Obviously, he's not giving any narration. That's something that still bothers some some people. But the bur the burden is really back on uh, uh, ba back on us. Um, that's where, if you don't mind, I, I would like to start with one kind of comparison. I talked about it a little bit in uh, in my journal, but I think uh, uh, it is a good place for us to start because of uh, placing Wiseman a little bit in uh, in uh, uh, context, and that's uh, to discuss uh, the filmmaker Georges Franjou a little sure. bit, who did that, who did uh, uh, the great short film and one of the classic documentaries called uh, Blood of the Beast. Uh, in 1949, uh, Franju's kind of an interesting uh, fellow. He's a uh, uh, he was one of the co-founders of the Cinematheque. He doesn't get uh, much credit for that. Henri Langlois is always mentioned, but Franju with him was a Cinematheque founder, and he did a great uh, fiction for a horror film in 1960 called Eyes Without a Face. And oddly enough, if anybody's an HBO Max subscriber. Um, it is on HBO Max now, so it can still be seen. Uh, uh, <laughs> HBO Max and most of the streaming services besides uh, Criterion and, and Mubi don't do very well with uh, classic films, uh, besides, of course, Canopy 2, where all of the Wiseman films uh, uh, can be found. But um, somehow um, Eyes Without a Face is, uh, is there. So uh, if you see Blood of the Beast and you find it of interest, uh, Eyes Without a Face is, uh, is the, uh, the next good follow-up for uh, for Franju. But um, Blood of the Beast, I think, is very clearly an influence on meat and uh, an influence in several ways. And I think it's... Um, uh, uh, I've never seen Wiseman talk about it, and I have no idea whether for sure he's seen it, but uh, it's just a case where I have no doubt that, that he did. Uh, he's also, as we know now, uh, clearly a Francophile and spends a long time in France. But I think he's also uh, something of a cinephile too. And I, I can't imagine that he would not have se have seen the film. And I think in some ways, uh, the structure of meat is reflecting uh, mm -hmm. blood, blood, of, blood of the Beast. And he's kind of uh, making it clear that he's referring uh, back to it. But he's also at the same time going his own way. And that's in general, I think, how uh, the influence of other filmmakers works on great artists. Uh, you can see that they've somehow uh, digested that work, but they're not uh, directly imitating uh, They're imitating it. Um, mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the ways that it does uh, fo follow Blood of the Beast is uh, it's kind of a strange thing, but uh, Franju's film is about 30 minutes long. And in the 30 minutes, we get three kinds of animals butchered. And we start with horses. Uh, we go to uh, beef, I think. And then the last one is sheep. And um, Wiseman um, follows that structure, although he doesn't. Uh, uh, there's no horse butchery in meat. I guess uh, uh, America is slightly more advanced. but uh, well, we, we still get the, the cowboys, though, herding. You get the, uh, yeah, yeah, we, we get the, we got the buffalo and the horses kind of you know going about the grounds. 
Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that that first 30 minutes, and I think it's important in me too, and pretty bold, that I think it's minute 31 before we get any actual butchering right. in the movie. Right. It's about a two-hour movie, but the first half hour is a whole bunch of other stuff. And one big part of it is this kind of uh, homage to the West. You're not sure <laughs> for a few minutes if you're in a John Ford film or quite right. where you are. But um, And also... Um, Wiseman seems to have, I don't know if, if you'd call it a love of horses or a preoccupation with horses. And we'll, we'll have to talk about this later, too. But this is uh, already uh, with me, his second animal film, right? It's not too mm -hmm. long ago. You guys were talking about uh, Primate. And uh, we do have Racetrack coming up, which also, mm -hmm. uh, besides uh, lots of admirable horse stuff, has a pretty uh, horrific yeah. operation still. Uh, to go, and then I'd say the the fourth of the the films in the Wiseman's Animal Collection, obviously, is Zoo, which mm -hmm. also has some pretty horrific stuff going. So it's kind of odd that uh, meat is the one where horses get uh, 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 treated the best. Uh, <laughs> it, it it sounds like it's kind of a, a off subject a little bit, but I want to make sure we we talk about it a little too. I looked it up that uh, in France. Um, it, it was said on one, one website that it said only 9% of French high households uh, uh, bought horse meat in 2019. And when I read that, I, I went, what do you mean only 9%? I thought that was, a, that was an incredibly high number. And they said that was half of what it was 10 years before, mm. that in 2010, it was still the case that 20% of French households were, were buying meat for uh, for home, for home consumption. Well, it, it was interesting in, in Franju's film, there's there's the shot of like this sort of monument to the idea of mm -hmm. eating horse meat. Like the there was one general or something, I think, advocate, who, advocate who was like the big proponent of horse yeah. meat that like introduced it as like, hey, this is a thing we could do. Shouldn't we do it? So see, it does seem very like particularly French in, in that way, I think. But the Franju uh, sure is, I mean, it, it, it's incredible in its own right. Um, and it's very, uh, Mamber, you talk about how it's very poetic and interested in, in poetic uh, imagery. But uh, the big the big difference um, that I think is useful to look at between it and, and Wiseman's Meat is um, how much, you know, the industrialization, how much more efficient mm -hmm. it is mm -hmm. um, since World War II um, that, uh, you know, doesn't allow for all of these tools and sort of the artistry and instead what we get in Wiseman's Meat is just like total alienation rather than like sort of this valor of and like it's, uh, it's consequently like Franju's uh, butchers are so much more brutal right like just mm -hmm. out of necessity of working with their hands and not having all this you know giant industrial machinery um, you know, whereas like uh, some some have described meat as being kind of cold, like dispassionate, removed, and it's something that I think it's it's more able to do because it's so it's such an assembly line. It's so mechanized and routine, and you don't have say like somebody just smashing a cow in the head with a giant hammer, right? Right. Yeah, that's pre that's pretty rough to watch, uh, yeah. uh, isn't it? But uh, Franju still tries to make. Uh, uh, the butchers or the whole process be somewhat poetic, 
Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, while uh, sheep are being butchered, you'll get a quote from Baudelaire. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, he'll, he'll talk about the, uh, the poetry of what, the, what they're doing. Although at the, at the same time, there's still a little bit of a concern for, uh, for the workers. And uh, oh, yeah. uh, I think he does say something like, uh, uh, while, we're, while we see a, a long, horrific line of sheep being partially uh, dismembered, the narrator will say that uh, something like years of this difficult task could lead to a cyst on the worker's wrist. Yeah. And a cyst is not such a big deal compared to what's happening to the sheep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at you look at the shot that accompanies that dialogue and it shows this growth on on this butcher's wrist and it's it's like just straight body horror (laughs) and i think like you know something to note for franju as you noted he went on to do eyes without a face is i think there's an element in this that's a bit more uh provocative a bit more like he's he's intending to shock he's sort i think this film really uh blood of the beast that is is like you know, leans more to horror, I think, in certain aspects. You have that row of headless sheep just, like, kicking, um, those sort of yeah, things. Yeah, that's an amazing shot, isn't it? And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I think Weissman would say, I, I would imagine, that, that his intention is not necessarily to, to horrify, or he, mm-hmm. at least, he at least says that wasn't his experience there. He wasn't horrified. But I think, I think that shows in, in uh, the, the, you know, just visuals well, of the films. Well, a connection maybe, uh, yeah, rather than horror, or in, in addition to horror, we could uh, say that there's an element of surrealism to, to both. Yeah. Um, and I think that still persists in meat. Some of the shots of the uh, carcasses covered in, um, uh, can- in canvas uh, uh, on, on, the, on the assembly line, it looks like it's something out of, uh, if not Bunuel, maybe like uh, the paintings of Damien Hirst. Hmm. Or you know, feel, feels like it's uh, Bunuel uh, a, a little bit, and uh, Franju I think goes a little more heavily into the kind of horror surrealism direction than uh, Wiseman, who is kind of colder, and the technology, as you point out, is very different in the in the two films. But um, uh, I think when Wiseman goes his way, it still feels like it's a departure from. Franju mm-hmm. or a comment in relation to Franju of uh, the the difference of time and place that Wiseman is is, is filming in, but somehow Franju is uh, uh, still there. Oh, and, and we should mention that there's a uh, at least one very good copy of uh, of Blood of the Beast on uh, YouTube. That's uh, 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 very well subtitled. Also, if people are interested in uh, uh, in seeing it, it, it is pretty accessible too. And, and I'll just mention uh, the the way I saw it is that it's a bonus feature on Criterion's release of Eyes Without a Face, and um, so that's how I, I revisited it. And it's interesting; they also include a couple of interviews with Franju um, on the disc about Blood of the Beasts. Yeah, and and he's talking about um, how this what you're talking about with surrealism, I think, is is uh, a heightened reality. He talks about how you take something out of the place where it belongs and then plop it into this other setting, and that creates this heightened realism or surrealism that that you know is 
the poetic thing that we're discussing and and is evocative of of a certain truth because you you know kind of inherently when you see that and it feels weird and wrong that like you're getting at at some kind of truth about what's happening here so i mean it's it's uh i think that maybe is another connection with meat in that you know there's nothing natural happening here right like in terms of place and like as soon as uh, cows are herded into the facility or any of the animals you know you you start to get the sense of um that like you know that this is a, a weird thing i'm witnessing but and i guess it's going to be helpful to talk about this in relation to the previous films of course but like there's this element of um like institutionalization and repetition and that the weirdness as it happened in primate as it happens with like maybe calloused welfare workers like after doing this for x amount of time that weirdness is stripped away and you become numb to the surreality of the act and mm -hmm. it just uh, uh that's kind of what weissman is always there to do is to like point that out and highlight it and say you know this is all a construction like none of this is natural it doesn't have to necessarily be this way but here it is uh, uh regardless of like your uh, institutionalization towards it yeah you're putting you're putting that very well and with Wiseman, when you go into a place you're not going to leave it <laughs> and uh, that's that seems very different from franju who keeps going outside of uh uh, of of where these butcherings are going on, and you get those weird things of like uh, the young lovers kissing and little bits right. of poetry outside and the bits of nature. Because I think what Frenju is after is that what's going on inside, where they're killing these animals, is part of that world, and it, it kind mm -hmm. of makes that world uh, possible. Where Wiseman is uh, interested in the institutions as they re reflect that outside world, but uh, one film is going to stay inside and it's going to take the connections between the movies or take us thinking about our experiences beyond that uh, to do it. Um, that's where also maybe uh, we can leave Friends You Behind a little bit and start talking about some of the things uh, that are specific, maybe more specific to, to Wiseman. And a few of these have come up uh, already, but I think it is time to talk about this idea of processing mm -hmm. a little bit more because I think that's relating to what uh, you're talking about, Arlen, of when we get inside of a, a place, what Wiseman will do is, um, a, in a kind of unrelenting fashion, show you every aspect of the of the process. I think we know, uh, uh, as the animals are herded inside, <laughs> that um, we're going to wind up with uh, packages of ground beef coming out the <laughs> other end. And we're going to see every single step along the way without interruption and the two times in the movie or the you know two big parts of the movie of uh, of uh, watching animals being um, you almost hate to to use the word processed actually we'll talk about language later i think but it is very funny at one point when the workers are talking with uh, management that um one, one of the workers says uh refers to uh one of the sheep as 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 a lamb, and he very quickly uh, uh, corrects himself and says a product yeah. rather than lamb. And not only that, he excuses himself for making that mistake because he realizes the workers just shouldn't talk about them as live uh, animals. But um, the the two sequences where we do follow um, a, a, animals being slaughtered, you know, first with uh, 
cows and then uh, and then with sheep. We see the whole process each time without interruption. We don't cut to anything else. When we see other things, it's either before or after or in, in between. When Wiseman starts to show you a process, he's just not going to, to let up. And a little bit of that, I think, is a kind of uh, documentary tradition that uh, that's part of what uh, uh, documentary filmmakers have long done is that they're showing us what goes into things where we see end products, but we don't know what what leads us to there. And that's clearly one of the things that uh, among its many uh, possible ambitions, Meat is uh, is doing, which it does have in common with uh, other Wiseman institutions, is he's, uh, he's saying, uh, this is what's going on behind the scenes, and you can still uh, keep eating meat. And of course, that's uh, one of the things we can talk about of whether it's a, <laughs> a, an anti-meat film or not. It was another statistic I dug up somewhere where, where was it? Oh, yeah, that uh, Americans, this was in the New York Times yesterday, believe it or not, uh, where there was a piece about monop- monopoly practices in, uh, uh, in uh, meat slaughtering, where there's, I think there's uh, four major American companies that, uh, that do this. So there are a bunch of, uh, of uh, uh, cattle producers who are trying to, uh, 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 trying to set up their, their own slaughterhouse. But it did say there that uh, Americans eat an average of 55 pounds of beef each year where that was another one where they said that kind of matter of factly, <laughs> but that seemed to me like it was quite a lot. <laughs> I actually, uh, it's funny you mentioned that because I looked up before we got on this. Uh, apparently, 1976, the year meat came out, was the peak for U.S. beef consumption. And oh. uh, we're now down 40% uh, from that peak uh, in 76 which is uh, a kind of a weird coincidence that he just happened to be making this mm-hmm. film uh, in that year. Well, maybe hmm. meat had something to do with it. I mean, let's, <laughs> maybe, yeah. let's, let's, yeah, let's right. imagine that that's possible. Oh. Uh, we should also remember, too, meat is uh, 1976, right, which was the uh, bicentennial year. Yeah. And uh, I think it's, it's, it's more courage on Wiseman's part that he wouldn't uh, you know, do anything that I think he would describe at all as patriotic uh, in, in, in the bicentennial year. And I think we really have to admire you know, his courage of going into places like the, this slaughterhouse to, to make films and to have done it so soon after uh, primate, you know, two two films later. I mean mm-hmm. that 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 takes real courage. You know, I I don't know. Uh, you're I, you can't be as squeamish as I am watching <laughs> these films, and I I, I just sometimes I can't uh, I can't force myself to to stay on uh, with my eyes on the screen, and yeah. uh, just just to see him able to to do this is uh, I think uh, quite quite uh, admirable on his part that he's willing to do it. It's a real. Uh, documentary responsibility that that he does not shirk he, he well he i was reading a, an interview um that he conducted in 2008 at this like lisboa documentary festival uh where they screen meat and missile um where he talks about what uh you know uh arlen was, was talking about uh these you know workers who like the, it no longer becomes horrifying if you do it every day and like, you know, entering yourself to this and, and sort of that callousness that we saw in welfare 
where things are coded, right? So like, you know, you're no longer thinking about what you're doing to, to a, a client in the welfare office. You're just going, oh, I'm doing my job. And he said that uh, particularly in meat and in near death, he like basically was doing the same thing. It's mm -hmm. just like, I'm just here to make a movie, you know, don't have to think about what exactly is going on here. Just like, you know, shoot it and I'm making a movie. If they can do it, I can do it too. Yeah, I know he says that, but I there's uh, you'll get to that, of course, when you get to, to Near Death, which is, I think, you know, not just the great Wiseman film, but one of the greatest films ever. Um, it, it feels like Near Death affected him a lot while he was while he was doing it. And even when he tries to act dispassionate um, meat, I guess this is the time too. like uh, you talked about with uh, Primate that the uh, the the title can be taken several ways right uh, meat meat can be taken several ways too and he is uh, clearly referring to the uh, workers too but probably the uh, audience of humans who are watching the the film also but um, the linkages between workers and uh, uh, the animals they're killing is uh, i think we should put that on our little yeah. list of topics and the things we have to have to cover today before we're uh, uh, before before we're we're done, so um, uh, uh, somehow he manages to to stay in there and watch this and and do it. But I I I, I think I, I I just admire him so greatly, both for being willing to choose a topic like this. You know, you can't imagine that he would expect this to be a very popular film when he, uh, going in to make it, but also how difficult it must be to. To do it, he probably does get used to being there a little bit, but uh, it, it would still strike me as a very tough, uh, uh, oh, a yeah. tough film to uh, uh, to make. Um, well, like kind of talking about all of these issues that we've been circling around, like sort of this, la like the animal and the laborer and process. Uh, a lot of the and, and primate and title, blah blah. blah. Um, uh, a lot of the interviews brought up, or not interviews, but uh, pieces reviews brought up this this quote of his that we've talked about before about like how he's interested in the uh, the gap in institutions between ideology and practice. And um, if you think about like primate and welfare, uh, the previous two films, they both have like such you know uh, altruistic ideas in the abstract, right? Like if you were just to tell somebody, oh, I work here. Uh, oh, that's great. You're doing such a great thing type of place. But, you know, meat is interesting within that rubric because it's, you know, instead there, like there is no ideology. It's just a process where like it's so well constructed and maintained and by these like alienated laborers and machines to the point where like, like the labor and the machine like almost blend together visually when they're like handing each other things. And there's this great, you know, there's a lot of moments like the the worker during negotiation saying stuff like they're going to chop our heads off right. um, or like Mamber <laughs> yeah. in your um, in your uh, 76 review, I think it was for, for um, uh, what was it? The, the New Republic. The New Republic. You com compare like sort of the vacant stares between the, the animals and the workers and um, and you call it like one of the nightmare studies of things going all too well. Um, but there's no conflicting values here like those other uh, institutions, right? It's just like uh, practice. Well, the, the, and... Yeah, the, the, the workers here are really kind of uh, pushed into shape, right? It's not till pretty late in the movie that we get uh, what would seem like typical Wiseman uh, 
scenes because he does uh, in other films too look at uh, management worker uh, kind of kind of mm -hmm. uh, kind of relations. But the ones here do seem to uh, connect the workers much more to the. Uh, to, to, to the animals. Um, I like very much that discussion if we're talking about the, the, the worker stuff in that uh, management scene late in the movie. Uh, the uh, worker representative who says something like... Uh, when this plan started, I was 35 years old. It was as far away from me as anything that I'd ever thought of. But now I'm 50. It makes a difference. So whoever's 35 years old now is going to become 50. So this is something people should be thinking about. And when you hear that, even though he's talking about going from 35 to 50 uh, and the animals don't last that, that long, it still feels like everybody's on an assembly line of some, mm -hmm. of some sort. You know, they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're, the workers are just going a little bit slower, I think you, you could say, but they're being chewed up just the, just the same way. Yeah, yeah they're, they're being processed. And I think something we've talked a lot about on previous episodes is like language and like institutionalized language and the ways uh, that people in these films really speak within their own codes that might initially at least be a, a bit indecipherable to the audiences. But like um, there's so much early on in this about with weird language of like the cow auctioneer and uh, just kind of like all the whooping and hollering that they do to corral cows, cows and get them in a group. And then in this union negotiation scene, uh, the representative for management, he really has one thing that he just keeps saying. He has one like official line that he like seems to have to stick to about like... All we're saying that you scale the lambs, the marking of those tags and everything... The supervisor, it's my understanding, has the right to do all that, and he's going to make sure that that invoice is correct. You know our line. You the know company what wants yeah. this. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, like, uh, just further ways, I guess, in, in the theme of Weissman's body of work, that, like, the ways in which language is uh, a use as a tool of institutional control, and, and in this case, like, processing, you know, they're, the process of... Uh, turning people into laborers into into subjects like corporate subjects yes very good very good point let's talk about language a little more maybe because it's funny too in a film that for very long sequences is silent right there's probably less speech and meat than in any wise yeah. film but there's still a lot of times where language is very uh very important. Uh, the auctioneers are pretty great, of course, and they, I think they fall in the, the same category as the track announcers and racetrack that will come up later, where uh, uh, Wiseman especially just loves these people who do have the kind of subculture jargon that's unique mm -hmm. to the to the particular place. And then also, Wiseman clearly loves uh, telephone scenes, right? And uh, yeah. he's got his uh, room full of salesmen early on <laughs> in meat. It's even before the first cow is seen right. slaughtered. You get that guy, what, what does he say? I wrote some of these down. He goes... Uh, I'm going to have some ribeyes, Gus Aru, but nothing in an eight and down. Now, I'm going to have some eight and downs a week following, but next week I'll have some eight to tens. I can't get you any eight and downs. We aren't killing any light heiferettes. 
All of ours are big steers, big eyed, thin skin, no dirt under the skirt. You know, and it's, it sounds more like David Mamet than it does uh, uh, Fred, Fred, Frederick Wiseman. Uh, uh, and the, the guy gets great a little later. He says something like, we do sell a lot of 119s in the Dallas area. Who knows what 119s <laughs> are? So never explained, but he does say they barbecue the heck out of those things there. Uh, and then one of them deals with a complaint about no flavor in the hamburger. Right, yeah. There's complaints <laughs> about the, 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 the meat being tough. And then uh, one of the guys has an absolutely fabulous line, I thought, where he says, But it's just like a fellow just now said to me, the banks loan money and we sell meat. Right. When he's yeah. talking to a customer who's slow, uh, uh, pay, paying his bill. So um, Wiseman is clearly very sensitive to to this kind of language, but I think it's language that uh, identifies this as another institution. Right? This is this is what institutions do: is um, they set up their ways of dealing with their customers, as it were, or dealing with their 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 subjects. Oh, I do like the the manager mentioning that they have a lamb fabrication department, mm -hmm. which is as euphemistic as you can get for you know <laughs> the place where they they kill they kill a bunch of sheep. You know, so um, <laughs> language is just coming up all over the place. Um, an absolutely fabulous Wiseman moment. I thought, I guess this is language too, but it's also this was one of my, I, I thought, uh, big realizations as I kept watching more Wiseman films is how often uh, songs appear, but they're not songs that he adds to the soundtrack. Right. Mm -hmm. They're ones that are that are there. But the great one in Meat is. Um, you see a worker whose entire job is stamping these cartridges with a stamp that says "Eat beef for good health." Is what each one says. They stamp the, the heck out of them too. They're just like you, all over the carcass yeah, of stamps. Yeah, you think they're dead already. Yeah. You, you don't have to keep beating them up, but they do. But but while he's doing it, the song that you hear, uh, pretty much in its entirety, is what kind of fool is what kind of fool am I? Right. And, uh, you know, you you, uh, you you know you you couldn't script one of those. You know, would be. It's just one of those uh, great like moments of of Wiseman irony uh, that is just like so subtle. It, and it's one of the yeah. the few moments we get of like I guess a, some respite on the line. You know, that isn't just constant like blood and gore. Mm -hmm. uh, the other one being the the guys watching the football game on the little TV. Uh, which is, I guess, kind of goes back to this whole, you know, uh, bicentennial like Americana notion. I mean, here we are, like beef football. Like, what else do you need? Yeah, yeah. It's such a uh, an interesting movie to think about as like the bicentennial film because it has so much like to do with America. Like, I get like I kept thinking of like you know particularly interested in like this post-fordist american society and like this post-war america that has just like oriented itself completely around the, the assembly line and like you know the idea of processing the american dream for every home like you just you you can buy all these things you can even keep you can even keep like the american dream in your freezer right um but like you know, and it, it's like tangibly uh, linked within the film to like the idea of like having your own car uh, and um, how like those sales affect meals uh, or meat sales. But 
Um, I don't know if we've really talked about that concept much yet in, in Wiseman's. Well, you're, you're also probably speaking Fordist in two, in two senses. <laughs> yes, the, yes, yes. One is the, for, right. the Fordism of the assembly line, and the other one is John Ford, the, the movie maker, right, or right. The, 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 Holly, the Hollywood myth of, of yes. the frontier and, and right. the West. And uh, I, I think Wiseman was pretty deliberate and careful in choosing a, a, a meat processing plant in Colorado. So that we can, uh, you know, be be uh, right right in the the kind the, the the kind of heartland of, you know, those those kind of picturesque shots. And I think it's ap it's absolutely a structural thing in the film that uh, we start with those shots of bison, but then very quickly we get it. It does look like it's almost straight from a John Ford film of uh, of uh, uh, a cowboy on a horse uh, framed against. Uh, uh, the sun, uh, and what that matches up to is the final shot of the movie, which mm -hmm. is um, uh, a truck now pulling out with a bunch of uh, ground beef and going out onto the onto the right highway. The <laughs> yeah, but you still see, yeah you still see the sun out there. So you know I think that that last shot is echoing the opening of uh, of the yeah. movie, and uh, and and Weisman is absolutely making his bicentennial movie even if nobody at the time sort of thought of it that way i think that is what a little bit of perspective give, gives us on that barry keith grant contrasts like that opening of like you know uh, this idea of the westerns like rugged individual to like inside the plant we just see all of that idea of independence stripped away on the, on the line but um i want to read this this passage of his um where he talks about exactly what you're talking about steve um because i think it's just very very uh well uh stated but um he says in stagecoach john wayne's ringo kid may have been saved from the blessings of civilization but meat shows that now in the blunt words of ee e. cummings buffalo bill is defunct the trucks on which the animals are loaded are also photographed in silhouette against the sun suggesting how these machines have replaced the horse Indeed, the only Broncos in the world of the film are the professional football players referred to by a pennant above the feedlot computer. <laughs> yeah, Barry Keith Grant, by the way, is terrific, I think. And it's, I've been very glad to hear that he's doing a, a, yeah. a revision of his book. And uh, uh, Columbia University Press, I think, is uh, uh, putting it out. He's, he's really excellent. If anybody's looking for reading on Wiseman, he's the essential person, I think, to... Uh, to uh, to go to so yeah it's it's great that he's figured out meat so well <laughs> a, a couple points on that um i think the other thing about uh grant's thing um the passage you just read is is it harkens back to something we discussed before about uh hegemonic structures and like i guess you know what the frontier and the West represents in like the American mythos and how, uh, as like this kind of, you know, renegade wild thing, uh, but how society has, you know, incorporated that ideal. It's, it's kind of rended, right. It processed it, uh, taken what it needs, but gotten rid of, you know, and any of, uh, any of the actual kind of transgressive dangerous stuff in order to serve its own purpose, in this case, you know, feeding a populace, right? It's like mm -hmm. implementing, 
you know, the, the people out there probably uh, working uh, as, as the ranchers or ranch hands, like probably still have this idealized notion of the West that they're, they're in dialogue with or fulfilling. And, you know, it is part of like uh, how they view themselves. Um, yet all they're really doing right is, is serving, you know, the, the salesman on the phone or the guy at the end, the big boss, you know, talking about how beef affects all these, you know, global economic structures. Um, so I think I think that's a really right comment. And and something else I wanted to bring up when you were talking about like this Fordism thing and the assembly line is like Weissman could have very easily have made like auto plant, right? In like in Detroit mm -hmm. or something. He could have yes. he and and he'll go he'll return to the assembly line, I believe, in adjustment and work. Belfast. And Belfast. Yeah. yeah. But like like there there are lots of things that are made on assembly lines right that could have you know spoken to similar themes but he chose a meat processing plant like this like very specific thing and, and maybe it's because of the food element and it's just so essential you know maybe it is because some of the horrific elements uh better like uh underlie some of the themes he's talking about but i'm curious uh your guys's thoughts on like you know uh if we're talking about assembly line and and labor like like why meat processing as opposed to you know any other industry i i just very quickly i think possibly because it it requires such brutal like murdering and like um this is something else we could talk about too but like uh that, that uh a reviewer brought up but how it relates to america as a place where like killing has become the main preoccupation mm-hmm well, that's why this might be a good point to go backwards in Wiseman and say this isn't his first assembly line, even though this <laughs> one is pretty uh, pretty explicit. And the films, it seems uh, to me, to most uh, uh, directly link up to are high school and uh, basic training. Basic training, and, yeah. uh, uh, High school, I thought real explicitly, by the way, by the uh, shot of the uh, factory outside when you first see the processing mm -hmm. plant, it just looks very like the first shot of uh, of the high school but i i think uh, you you have to feel in meat when uh we've been outside for the first 30 minutes and we do get these heroic shots of cowboys and all that that it's a real subversion of an american ideal when we go inside and see what happens next you know this isn't uh, uh, yeah. uh, uh, uh glorified cowboys and uh, and horses now we're uh, killing them uh, uh, in, in, in order to eat. And it becomes that much more horrific to go inside because of the half hour we spent before. But um, uh, uh, basic training is kind of like meat, isn't it? Uh, it's the processing thing going on where um, uh, if it's not the uh, students in high school, it's the uh, trainees in basic training who come in one way and go out another, I guess or who we see being uh, uh, changed and again processed uh, by the by the by the institution so uh, this is another of those where he's taking uh, I guess what would be but what would be called he does refer to this as he often does in interviews that he picked a good institution rather than mm -hmm. a rather than a bad one that's where by the way um, I, I did read somewhere that in America there are still um, processing plants for horses. There are still huh. slaughterhouses that even though Americans don't eat horse meat, it could still be ex exported to Mexico and to other 
into other countries and that horse, uh, horse slaughtering does still go on in America. It's not just uh, uh, in France. But yeah, I think Wiseman is looking for the uh, smooth assembly lines, you know, and yeah. looking at it for um, how it's changed. Although I think it is a funny thing now that it is uh, uh, a while since 1976 that one of the uh, kind of enjoyable things of watching Wiseman films in a row is that they become kind of histories of technology. And um, yeah. Meat, Meat has more technology than any of the films before it, but now it seems a little bit uh, a little bit crude. But I think we do get uh, a computer room. We see lots of spinning computer disks. We get long paper uh, printouts. Um, automation has set in. So we see a, a particularly strong example of it in Meat, but it's probably also reflecting societal changes uh, uh, as well. And I think even in Primate, weren't there already uh, banks of flashing lights and computers? So uh, mm -hmm. this this has started to, uh, to happen already. Um, I think besides histories of technology, we do see uh, uh, how prevalent smoking <laughs> still was. And of course, uh, haircuts and clothing have changed uh, mm -hmm. quite a bit. The, so we get to see, get to see that change uh, as well. Talking but about I think the... Yeah, go Talking ahead, about sorry. that, that um, this idea of like the assembly line real quick w that you brought up between like high school and basic training, what we see, what we talked about when we when we visited those films was also seeing the the people within that assembly line that are like trying to bucket and you th like this is a, an almost satirical account of like diminished autonomy uh, by Wiseman. Cause there's just like, there's nothing they can really do other than like a little bit literally buck while they're being dragged, but there is no like real pushback. But um, well, and, and well th th this is, this is where though, I think we do have to uh, pay homage to, I think it's the uh, single greatest sequence probably in Wiseman <laughs> films or uh -huh. one that, uh, you know, uh, I will occasionally go back to meet just to, to watch this part. <laughs> and that's the, the, uh, the, the famous Judas go. <laughs> yes. Uh, Wiseman just does that sequence so well. You know, again, it's a kind of narrative thing where we watch the whole process of the, the sheep being unloaded and walking down the, uh, the shoot. And I think we even get point of view shots from the, from the <laughs> position of sheep. And then the greatest shot is the one of the, the Judas goat himself after he's uh, led the the, uh, uh, the lambs literally to their slaughter. You get this one sly look on his face as he turns around and goes goes back. And it's just, you know, Wiseman has figured this whole thing out. <laughs> also, uh, uh, he's kind of uh, admiring the goats uh, being able to, to pull this off because he is like the one figure in the film who manages uh, to, to survive uh, the, this mm -hmm. process or the one animal who has. So I think we just have to pay our respects there, both the wise men <laughs> and to the, and to the Judas goat himself. For and sure. I don't know, the first time I saw it, I don't think I picked up on that. And it took me a viewing or two to realize what was going on with that one. It's, it's pretty sly when that, when that happens. So uh, I hope uh, people uh, notice that. Oh, I'm sure. But uh, kind of talking about like this, the technology, like coming, to the foreground and like primate in this uh grant has has sort of the, this this good summation of like now we're in this world where um we have like cut ourselves off from like physical and emotional selves like our nature in that way and they've just been replaced by 
the, the technology and like this search for knowledge, um, institutional knowledge, at least. Yeah, I, I will note um, just quickly, there is kind of a third film in this Blood of the Beast meet and now um, uh, call it a trilogy is, is um, Our Daily Bread, uh, which is a German film uh, by Nicholas uh, Gary Halter uh came out in 2005 and it it also ties in just kind of general modern agriculture indoor uh, industrial agriculture um, but there's a lot in it uh that is the same through line of of meat processing um and it is in color uh which is a big difference and something franju and weissman have both commented on with their films um but i i noted how much some things were different that it did seem more industrialized but there's still some of the same exact same equipment we saw in meat and use in mm. in this film like the they're just perfected the it. giant uh shears that they use to clip uh -huh. off the hooves um that sort of giant saw that they'll split the cow into two with like a conveyor belt that moves down as the guys it's like a final fantasy size saw um but the I, it was interesting noting that that oh, it seems like they kind of hit on something with with at least a few of these implements that have stuck yeah i guess another bit of technology that's still around but uh, uh never found the success that they thought they would have is uh it, it is pretty far down the uh uh, the process, those uh, processed eggs that get pitched at a meeting. Uh, I love that you know, scene. The, the, yeah. the, the guy's idea is he's taking a dozen eggs and, as he says, he's putting it back together again into one convenient form. It's got like 38 uh, patents on, on a dozen eggs. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you can't find processed eggs now. You know, I guess they've taken them further because you can get egg whites, of course, and egg yolks processed uh, uh, separately. But um, I guess people are still ready to uh, crack their own eggs and don't need to buy tubes. They don't need to buy tubes of them. But uh, a more you, recent uh, review I read like pointed out like the sort of like phallic nature of that like <laughs> egg tube and these guys sitting around a room talking about this great new stuff that has been invented. <laughs> I love the undertone of it too, where the guy is he's doing his pitch and he kind of says something along the lines of like you know I've. I've been talking to some people. Nobody's been really been interested. Uh, I visualize as you possibly being that type of a company. Like you sell like processed <laughs> crap, like egg tubes, right? Like you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. Why why is he there pitching eggs? Yeah, I don't think they kill chickens there or are involved with chickens at all. But yeah, if you're in the killing of animals business, you'll be happy hearing the, hearing this pitch. So Steve, as as somebody who was uh like writing about this film at the time and just like alive which we were not um oh like how do you place like this this uh speech by this boss about like what is the moral responsibility uh, of say the u.s uh, consumer as well as producer exporting grains is not just a moral thing or a humanistic thing we need we need the money for to buy the oil uh, so uh, you know the economists that might might or might not give a damn about someone else will say yeah we got to export grain so we can import oil uh, in the long run I have uh, some questions about uh, whether we won't get very selfish 
and if we did get self-sufficient in energy somewhere along the line to where we didn't have to export grains, why, we might say to hell with the rest of the world. In that case, we better spend a hell of a lot of money for defense because we got problems there. I don't think any more big wars are really going to be fought on ideology. Communism versus free enterprise. Uh, we're getting to where we're using enough of our potential resources, whether they be energy or food, uh, where I think we're going to, the fear of big wars uh, result from shortages of, of essentials to people. Can you, do you know how to contextualize that? Like, was this a post-Vietnam, like sort of America on the mend type thing or what? Yeah, I, th I think that's the, that's the way to have read it at, at the time is uh, uh, Vietnam is still too strong. Or now when you look at it, it seems eerily like sort of pre-Iraq. And um, the argument that, of course, Iraq was fought over oil seems to fit the way you could look at meat as well. And also, you know, we're in a time of uh, big beef uh, price inflation and there, it isn't uh, impossible to imagine shortages around uh, meat as well. So um, I, I think you can see meat as much predictive of the future as it is influenced by what was before. But I think at the time, uh, uh, I was very struck by how it didn't seem so far off from, uh, uh, from basic training or from, from high school and that Wiseman was still doing his kind of uh, 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 let's look at what institutions are doing to uh, 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 to 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 the citizens, rather rather than uh, thinking about it, uh, thinking of it on broader uh, uh, ideological terms. And even in meat, when you do get that big final discussion about um, moral response responsibility, mm -hmm. um, I think the reporter actually does some say something like it is pretty uh, direct for a Wiseman film where he says something like, what is the moral responsibility of the U.S. consumer as well as the um, producer? Uh, it is a big deal that you do get a final discussion that's that's about that. You know, uh, uh, beef consumption is related to exports and imports and to uh, uh, essential kinds of products. And um, I think, uh, uh, you know, it feels like it's one of those uh, Wiseman summary scenes, you know, like it's almost like we're back to the uh, uh, principal in high school. But um, I think he's already getting away from summary scenes. And even in this film, that isn't the final summary. And we'll go back to one more final processing sequence. And it's one where you think this meat has already been processed as much <laughs> as it possibly could be. But then we see it uh, ground up and uh, packaged into plastic tubes, almost like the guy was talking about uh, the eggs. And then we see them put into uh, boxes that might look very recognizable from uh, supermarkets, but then they're um, put on trucks and uh, uh, driven off. Uh, um, and uh, watching that as a kind of final thing in a Wiseman film, uh, uh, I don't want to tip off where it comes up again, but um, uh, watching the kind of final product uh, driven away in a truck uh, oh, is something that uh, uh, something uh, Wise Wiseman is uh, sensitive to. So that's where he ends, I think, showing you the completion of a 
of a of a of a process. But at the same time, the ide- ideological issues come up. I think he doesn't uh, 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 work them over, you know, even as hard as he as he could. And they're there to be extracted if we want to, you know. And I think it invites that discussion, which is pretty much the same as the discussion about whether or not seeing this should turn you into a vegetarian or not. I mean, you'd think it would be very hard to eat meat after this, but, you know, large numbers of people still do, even if maybe it has gone down since, uh, since, since, he, made, since he made the movie. Um, I think this is more a film that's uh, showing you the way things are rather than a film that's arguing for change. I don't, I don't yeah. think, uh, again, Wiseman is that kind of ideological filmmaker. It's something you have discussed on uh, some of the previous podcasts, but it's good to bring up in relation to this to this film too. The purpose of meat is not to get the viewer to stop eating meat. I think the purpose of meat is to say, this is one of the things that society does, and it resembles a lot of other things that our society does too. So let's think about all of those uh, connections and ramifications and uh, what the, lo- the larger sorts of issues of uh, moral responsibility even would be than the uh, uh, than than eating meat or eating different uh, types of meat. Oh, uh, did I did I mention before just when we started talking about horses and uh, 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 connections to the Frangieu film that after horses, Wiseman does stay to the Frangieu uh, process, and mm-hmm. we do get uh, the beef slaughtered, and then we get the sheep mm-hmm. slaughtered, and I think yeah. that that's his way of connecting back. To friend you too he's doing it which a lot of uh, a lot of people found it repetitious like a lot yeah. like a lot of our viewers found it sort of just like boring um but while we're talking about sort of like these big ideas of like um or like how scary it is or like how ho- harrowing it is i wanted to bring up another sort of like big issue within like the representation here that um member you talked about in your early review um which is uh, the film language of like concentration camps. Um, and yeah. I, I, so I was recently reading this, this novel, Elizabeth Costello, that by, uh, J.M. Coetzee. And they, um, there's a discussion in that book where like the narrator is like, um, arguing about like meat, uh, like meat packing and, and slaughterhouses, um, making sort of an ideological, statement that they are uh, that they should be treated like uh concentration camps uh were treated um because they're doing the same thing um and there's a debate within that and i wasn't sure if if it was like because i was just reading that um that i was kind of coming into this with that sort of like loaded in me but uh but yeah well, don't, well, you don't, you think pre- don't you think pretty emphatically yes that you have to harken back to uh to uh concentration camp era uh I- imagery um did you? I think you mentioned that with Primate too. That uh, it's very hard not to think of, uh, you know, Mengele right, and right. that yeah. kind of that kind of exper- experimentation. And uh, you know, we should remember too, going forward, that uh, Wiseman does a, a short fiction film that's based on a, a, a concentration camp memoir, and um, that um, uh, I think it's very hard not to think when you see these kinds of images of that he's not. Uh, you know, it's not possible to do a film directly on that subject, but uh, um, one has to see these as 
as historical in that sense, especially, too, that he does so many films on military subjects. And even when it's, uh, you know, crazy things like a uh, uh, missile echo echoing Dr. Strangelove, um, he's very much in a, uh, uh, in, in a, a kind of a, a World World War II sensibility uh, uh, mm -hmm. still. Uh, you're you're, you're going to get it very very soon when he does go to Europe and make a make a film there film there too. You know he's got a a, a number of these uh, uh, Euro, European based uh, right. uh, films. Um, Maneuver, you know, is set mm -hmm. again in World War II, and you get these uh, scenes of soldiers and tanks going through the German countryside. And even though <laughs> it's 1979, you can't but think of World War II. And I think Meet with those images absolutely um, uh, in, in, invites that. You know, piles of bodies are impossible not to link up to uh, atrocities right. to, hu to, to, hu to humans as, uh, as well, and mass killing is mass killing, I guess, whether it's animals or humans. Yeah, and just some of like sort of like the hanging uh, bones and stuff. But at, at, there are other times where they they look like movie ghosts, right? Like, which uh, is interesting. When they're draped in those wet claws yeah. on the hook. They're just yeah, hanging, totally... they're just floating around the yeah. room. And um, they have like these sort of like life after death kind of thing like ghosts right like in this machine but uh there's a, a good line from uh nicholas Rapold uh uh review where he he says it looks like this like hybrid vision of the afterlife like these heavenly bodies just like disassembled and just like moving forward um it's very strange well that's maybe too that that kind of surrealist aspect or mm -hmm. the the Bunuel, the Bunuelian qualities of uh, of Wiseman too. Yeah, those are really strange sequences, aren't they? And uh, just just before we get too far away from this whole kind of like moral responsibility thing and how this all ties in with with meat is like, you know, watching this now in 2022 and just ha knowing what we know about like beef production and and methane generation and climate change right is adds this whole other element and yeah. and like horror to certain scenes like like those aerial shots we get which are like the first time i've ever seen that in a weissman film right from like i guess mm -hmm. high up in the grain silo and you just kind of get a sense of like jesus christ look how much land this covers look how many cows are out there and like knowing what we know now about yeah all that stuff is like like that this is like like hor horrifying now 50 years later kind of right yeah Rapold calls that like pointillist the mm. those shots like pointillist yeah, yeah. like uh, the shot that really gets me from a modern perspective is when the cows are first brought into the slaughterhouse they're given a couple of shots you know before they're killed and i imagine that's probably antibiotics right there they're trying they're trying to kill germs and you know now there are there are um uh, movements towards uh, grass-fed beef and no use of antibiotics and non-GMO non processing. Which is like yeah. interesting too, uh, watching now in the era of COVID is like nobody's wearing gloves out here. <laughs> like, viscera, you know, like uh, uh, who knows what's under their fingernails, but it, it, you know, that was definitely something that stood out to me just being primed for, you know, people being uh, clean and germ-free now. 
And I think probably now they're exploiting workers even more because yes. uh, uh, isn't this much more much more done by uh, undocumented workers? There's still a, a fair percentage of white people on the uh, uh, yeah. on the assembly lines, it seems. And, totally, uh, totally. And, and then, in fact, early on in the pandemic, I think there was a Smithfield plant that was like kind of one of the early uh, first outbreak sites um and you know all these undocumented workers being exploited in close quarters you know no ppe like there was just an explosion uh, at a smithfield meatpacking plant and um while we're on on that topic i would be remiss not to note uh there's another uh recent doc out there called union time um a fight for workers rights uh which documents uh i believe it's like a 14 year uh, unionization effort at a North Carolina Smithfield plant. Um, so if if you were grabbed like I was by you know the union negotiation scene in this, um, this film is kind of all that, um, and uh, I believe it's worth worth seeking out. Um, but but you know to this point is like, yeah, you're right, Stephen. It it is even worse now. Uh, the labor exploitation, just kind of the general union busting across all sectors, like. Uh, um, it you know, as evidenced by this this COVID outbreak. Yeah, meat packing plants seem especially vulnerable to worker exploitation. It seems, uh, but it, but again, if Wiseman wanted to do, uh, let's look at a horrible uh, meat packing plant or slaughterhouse, he probably would have picked a pork processing plant or chickens seem to also be. That was something yeah, you know when you mentioned you know he's always looking for like. Uh, an ex excellent example or like of a good version of this institution like and you see this you gotta really you know kind of wonder like what kind of horror is happening in other meatpacking plants that are you know less uh, well resourced or doing different kinds of animals or stuff like if this is you know the pinnacle of the achievement like what what else is going on out there yeah that's a very good point because Wiseman leaves uh, leaves that open to you, right? I mean, even if you think this is a good place, you can you can still think, well, look at these terrible things I'm seeing here. How much worse does it have to be elsewhere? Um, uh, Steve, are there are there any other like uh, things that you want to uh, get off your list? Let's uh, see. I no? think we we've probably hit on uh, most of them. I th I think we've covered technology pretty well. Processing. I wanted to make sure. We mm -hmm. talked about factories and assembly lines we've done. Um, so something you, you touched on early on um, uh, and I wanted to ask you about is, you know, now we're 10 films in and uh, in your New Republic piece, uh, you're already noting kind of differences from quote unquote like early Weissman. And I mean, you know, looking back now, some might still consider me to be early Weissman. Um, but like, like at that time, uh, it seemed like you were drawing distinctions where there are sort of these longer sequences that there are revelations contained within the sequences and not just kind of in juxtaposition of short segments to one another. So I'm, I'm curious if you can just kind of expound, you know, how you see Weissman operating uh, by his 10th film uh, towards earlier films and maybe where you kind of mar might mark a, a point of demarcation of like where he starts doing what you're talking about. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. And I think 10, 10 films is kind of a funny point because with uh, the few great filmmakers that I would put Wiseman in the league with, it would be, uh, you know, Hitchcock, John Ford, uh, Jean Renoir. Um, these directors have had really long careers. So, you know, now meat is at the about one quarter point. But mm -hmm. uh, in 1976, 10 movies seemed like, especially I think for a documentary filmmaker, um, it's hard to make these uh, uh, doc documentary feature films there, uh, especially back then were uh, uh, very expensive to make. You weren't shooting in digital cinema. And uh, whenever the cinematographer pressed the button, that was costing you money. And, uh, 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 you know, Wiseman was going... Uh, hand to mouth to PBS and to foundations trying to get money to make these films. And um, part of why he's making films uh, one, once a year is because uh, that's how long it took to get the funding for, for the next one. And I think PBS especially didn't want more than one film a year uh, from him. So that was the uh, pace that he was uh, put on. But on the other side of it, 10 is uh, a pretty good body of work already. And even if it winds up right now being 45 and let's hope not the end of uh, the number of films that, uh, that that he'll make. That That's still a pretty good number. So where I would kind of put, uh, a, I wouldn't call it a dividing line, but I think Primate is sort of indicating a kind of change that we're going to see more of in the films that are going to follow. Where I would also say that I hope your uh, podcast listeners really stick with you during this next part, because this is where I think we're starting to hit middle Wiseman, or if not middle, at least like uh, the second quarter of Wiseman. I'm kind of undecided whether we should say to divide up his work into thirds or into fourths, where the <laughs> middle is now he's moving away from the kinds of institutions like um, basic training in high school or even uh, the slaughterhouses of, of meat into either more teaching situations or more societal kinds of, uh, of films, the ones about uh, certain places rather than certain uh, institutions. Mm -hmm. And then the last great series are the ones uh, probably starting around uh, at Berkeley in Ex Libris and in ja Jackson Heights and City Hall, the uh, three and four hour ones that seem like they're kind of summary movies and also moving to larger questions of art and culture and, edu and education. So um, uh, I guess Meat is still part of the first group, but is showing traces of the change. The trace of the change, I think most particularly, is that it's not so overtly ideological, I think, that uh, uh, kind of restricted to that last scene in the in the. Uh, of the uh, of the guy talking about the uh, global impact of the economics of uh, of uh, of what they're doing, or mm -hmm. um, the the stuff with the workers and management, or maybe a little bit the salesman things at at the beginning. They seem very much kind of segregated and and restricted, and it is um, very bold that so much of the film uh, is silent or you know half horror film, half surrealism. Uh, half not clear, not with a cl as clear an agenda, I would say, as maybe high school and, and, law, and, and, law, and law and order have. It's moving a little bit in that direction towards uh, uh, 
being in some ways more traditionally documentary in um, uh, showing us processes so completely and showing us so directly uh, what's there, a record of what it is he saw when he's there. But also that uh, uh, I don't think the axes that it has to grind are so uh, immediately apparent or mm-hmm. have to be have to be argued about uh, um, you know quite so overtly as um, uh, even in primate I think it was still a little bit clearer who the good guys and the bad guys were shall shall, shall we say even though uh, meat still does fit with uh, uh, fit with us but uh, but I think things are starting to change in his films and I guess now you're about to enter into um, a series of films that uh, seem to be more um, uh, international in scope and also back to military. But once again, I hope everybody keeps their eyes open and don't uh, don't just look at them through those restricted uh, 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 through those restrictive lenses. Uh, Canal Zone is very much a movie about America and uh, the uh, military films coming up, Sinai Field Mission and Maneuver and Missile are still very much films uh, uh, in keeping with uh, uh, the, the ones that you've been looking at and uh, and and and, ta- and talking about. So um, it's still Wiseman, but uh, Wiseman somehow, and it is an amazing thing in these first 10 films, is while they connect to each other, they don't repeat themselves. I don't think you ever... Uh, uh, are inclined to say, oh, he didn't need to make this film, or this film doesn't add very much to to what I already know, or I could have done without this film. Every one of them still uh, feels essential. You know, I'm, I'm not looking forward to a fifth viewing of Meat. <laughs> I'm very glad for the for the for the four that I've had. I mean, it's a yeah. really important uh, uh, essential movie, and I think to really appreciate how important it is. You do have to connect it to other Wiseman films. And um, even at this point, he, he was starting to say, oh, I've been, make, I've been making a 20-hour film or mm-hmm. I've been making a 30-hour film. I don't know what the arithmetic would be now, how many hours it would wind up being. But um, I think he, he's already got this uh, grand design in mind that uh, uh, this is showing us another facet of American society and this is giving us entry points to issues that have uh, come up before but is making uh, it possible for us to look at them in more complex ways than uh, if this movie didn't exist. Hmm. I, I think that that's a uh... That's a lot to chew on, um, and I think I, I'm very glad that you know I'm 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 very glad to uh, have gotten you on that like you know this was kind of uh, a little happy accident because um, you you uh, jumped in uh, for us when we needed a guest and you know it's it's not uh, every day that uh, the person that jumps in is like somebody who wrote about it. <laughs> in 1976 when it came out and just has thought a lot about it so uh we're we're very lucky to have Absolutely. you on well I'm, I'm happy if the occasion ever arises again whether or not somebody <laughs> cancels at the, at the last minute maybe further along I'd be i'm more sure than happy to, yeah to one, come back. once we get on the next uh quarter <laughs> yeah you, you, you've got plenty of good ones to go so they'll i hope there'll be an opportunity for me to join in well thanks again um for talking with us steve Thanks so much. Okay, and I look forward to your future podcasts with other guests, too. <laughs> Thank you. Okay.
In seven minutes of hot water, it's completely defrosted. You open the egg up, you can, there's a slicer that comes with it. You can slice it, you can dice it, you can chop it. As I said, sandwiches, salads, breakfast items, whatever it may be. It eliminates all that cooking, peeling, all that waste and spoilage and pilferage. As I said, four years ago, uh, it was 10 years of developmental stages at Cornell University. And four years ago, we started test marketing it and trying to find out what it was and where it would appeal. And today, it is a multi-million dollar business. So. Did you go to Cornell? No, I did not go to Cornell. You mean the yolk is in there? The yolk is in there, and it's centered throughout the... Let me give you an oversimplification of what that product is. We take a dozen eggs and separate them. We take the yolk and put it in a very thin sausage tube. We take that tube and partially cook it. We take the yolk and deposit it in the outside container that you see there. It's about three-quarters full. We remove that partially cooked yolk from its container, insert it inside that container, which then fills the container. We seal it, and this goes over a continuous hot water bath, which is cooking it. The centrifugal force as it goes over the bath keeps the yolk centered. When it comes out the other end, it's completely cooked. Now, we had a very it's small... It's in the casing all the time? It's, no, we, the casing is removed from the yolk. We put a small amount of a modified... type case. Yes. We put a small amount of modified starch in that yolk, which gives it an adhesive factor to the white. And so that when you slice this, the yolk will not separate from the white as it does from an egg if you were to do them individually. As I said, it's an oversimplification. We hold 36 patents on this, and the equipment is very complicated. But that's primarily what's being done to that product. We just put a dozen eggs back together again into one convenient form.